All right, everybody. Welcome to the Daily Dose. Today, I want to talk about corrective action plans as they relate to the self-disclosure protocol through the Office of Inspector General. So, in 1998, the OIG created the Provider Self-Disclosure Protocol. And you can find this at 63 Federal Register 58399 dated October 30th of 1998. And this was created to establish a process for persons to voluntarily identify, disclose, and resolve instances of potential fraud involving the federal health care programs. So specifically, we're talking about those that are defined in Section 1128BF of the Social Security Act, or 42 U.S.C. 1320A through 7BF. And the self-disclosure protocol provided guidance on how to investigate conduct to quantify damages and to report the conduct. Did you hear that? Report the conduct of the OIG to resolve the person's liability under OIG civil monetary penalty authorities. Now, between 1998 and 2020, OIG actually resolved more than 2,200 disclosures resulting from recoveries of more than $870 million to the federal health care programs. Now, what OIG has done as part of its evolution process was to basically identify areas where additional guidance would be beneficial to healthcare providers to basically improve the efficiency of the resolution process of a self-disclosure protocol. Keep in mind that for, gosh, probably close to a decade, OIG has put a lot of emphasis on the importance of dealing with the federal health care programs and the integrity of those systems. As members of the healthcare industry, we have a legal and ethical duty to report overpayments. And as part of that duty, it includes an obligation to take measures to detect and prevent fraudulent and abusive activities, including implementing specific procedures and mechanisms to investigate and resolve instances of potential fraud involving federal health care payers. Keep in mind that whether as a result of voluntary self-assessment or in actual response to external forces, right, UPICS, MACs, OIG, participants in healthcare have to be prepared to investigate these instances and to assess the potential losses suffered by the federal payer program and to make a full disclosure to the appropriate authorities. 
I think we would agree that audits are nothing new, but the requirements tied to them are in a lot of cases. Now, for years, I've talked about and encouraged clients to create corrective action plans. Let's refer to these as CATs. When they uncover something that requires adjustments and possibly refunds to the government. I personally like uh, CAPS because they demonstrate during an investigation an organization's good faith with regards to complying with statutes, regulations, guidelines, and laws. However, creating a CAP is something that needs to be done with guidance from a healthcare-centered attorney or a regulatory professional to ensure the work product is protected to the extent the law allows. Now, I do a ton of corrective action plans throughout the course of a year. I cannot provide privilege and I cannot create a protected work product because that has to be done under the direction of an attorney, which is why when I engage in audits that could be punitive or result in a um, corrective action plan, I always recommend to my clients engaging with one of the attorneys that I'm familiar with, somebody who I trust, somebody who I know has an extensive amount of experience, strong relationships with special counsel at the Office of Inspector General, or God forbid, if we have to make a disclosure to the Department of Justice, strong relationships with the AUSAs. Now, within an organization, if you look long and hard enough, you can always find something questionable, right? Just like if a police officer gets behind you on a highway and they follow you long enough, they can find a reason to pull you over. So within healthcare, things are often subject to a lot of scrutiny. And these areas that we deal with each and every single day are often subjective and more than, you know, just a lovely shade of gray, right? These are the things that cause us to have to pause. These are the things that create noise. Now, I have had some attorneys tell clients to never create caps because you never want something in writing. After 28 years, I disagree with that. Of course, you want to be measured with what you put in writing, but at the same time, the whole reason for a cap is to demonstrate compliance with auditing and monitoring, which, as we know, is one of the seven steps of an effective compliance program. Now, putting aside personal beliefs of what one versus the other has to say about them and look at the fact insurance companies are now requiring them as 
part of a settlement agreement or imposing them as part of the punitive portion of an audit. I just actually concluded working on a case for a client in the Midwest who was honestly hammered by a big five payer to the tune of about $1.7 million. Now, regardless of the fact we absolutely disagreed with their findings and their own experts' admission that they knew hardly anything regarding the type of surgeries the provider was performing. And put aside the fact they did not have an actual policy for this specific service, this, this payer still demanded a corrective action plan because they felt the provider unbundled services and appended modifiers incorrectly, as well as billed for levels of evaluation and management service that were not supported by medical necessity. Now, here's the best part. This payer actually agreed to a settlement of $125. No joke, folks. The initial demand started at $1.7 million. We settled on $125, period. Now, the main thing here is that they absolutely refused to accept the settlement payment without the corrective action plan. And on two occasions told us that without a cap, they would disregard the settlement and initiate a demand for refund of the full $1.7 million. As I said, for the past decade and even longer, things like incident two services, and now with the revision to split shared services, these type of issues have been nothing short of a thorn in everyone's side. Over the years, I've had the ability to help countless clients through the process of drafting policies and procedures, corrective action plans, and educating their staff on the rules and billing guidelines of these service types. So, what I'm going to provide, what I'm going to offer, is a model corrective action plan that prompts you step by step how to fill one of these things out. What's required? how to do it the right way. And in the description of this episode, you'll find a link to take you to exactly where you can get this corrective action plan. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of The Daily Dose. Thanks for hanging out with me for just a little while. Thanks again for making us a top 25 regulatory compliance and health law program. As a matter of fact, we are number seven on the top 25 list, and it's all because of each and every single one of you. Until tomorrow, have a great day.